joy it is for me to be able to be here. Uh, what an encouragement it is to me to be able to be here and to be with you on, on this Lord's Day and to be able to share together in worship uh, and, just, and, and fellowship. There is encouragement uh, that comes from the fellowship of God's people. Uh, and it doesn't matter if, if uh, you're which side of the river you're on. There's encouragement when you get together in Christ. And I hope that you're encouraged this morning. I, I hope that you're encouraged by the worship and, and just this opportunity to open God's word together. I, I know uh, that I am. And so I, and I also, before I get started, I, I need to say this. I want to bring greetings from your brothers and sisters at Merriman Road Baptist Church. And um, we want you to know that we pray for you regularly uh, and we're encouraged by what God's God is doing here in, in Windsor and through the gathering. And, um, and indeed, your pastor is a dear friend, uh, a dear friend to me and to my wife. And, and uh, I think what God is doing uh, here in the metro Detroit and Windsor region uh, together, and what, what we refer to as, as Send Detroit, uh, a church planting initiative, and uh, we link arms together in seeing the gospel planted in in very dark communities, in a very dark time. And so I, th- I thank you for that partnership, and uh, I thank you for this opportunity to open God's Word together. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Uh, at Merriman Road, we've been going through a study in the book of Acts, and of course, it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful book uh, in the Scriptures to open and to read of the the power of God at work and in breaking down barriers and in people's lives and cross-culturally through the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're going to come to uh, just a very interesting passage, a a chapter uh, in chapter 18, where I I would suggest to you that Paul was facing a period of discouragement in his life and ministry. And I think it's, it's very important to consider this today because I just want to tell you, Satan's greatest tool against the gospel is discouragement in the heart and lives of believers. We, we all face these times, these bouts with, with periods of discouragement for one reason or another. And it might be that you're here this morning and, and that would speak true of you. You have known and maybe you're experiencing discouragement in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's because someone has, has let you down, or maybe it's because you've been carrying a heavy load, and, and you look and you don't really see any fruit from that load, or, or maybe people that you have been sharing your faith with are simply resisting the gospel, and, and you don't see evidence of, of your prayerful investments in their life, and you, you are struggling with discouragement. Well, I would suggest to you this morning that you're in, in pretty good company biblically. I mean, if you, you read all the great heroes of the faith, from you know, Moses to, to Elijah to, to Joshua to David to Job to Jonah, I, I, all of them had significant periods of disillusionment and discouragement and even, in some cases, depression. In Acts chapter 18... I would suggest that Paul is facing discouragement because this is the only place where we see God come in and and in a vision give him a word of encouragement. I don't think 
God would have given him such a strong word of encouragement if, if Paul hadn't already been struggling with discouragement. So let's look at this. And, I, and as we look at it, I want to suggest to you that God works to encourage his children. He works to encourage you through the fellowship of believers, through suffering or service and, and fruit in service, and, and also through his word. So let's take encouragement there. 18 verse 1. And after this, he left from Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jewish man named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them. And being of the same occupation, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the preaching of the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that the Messiah is Jesus. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and he told them, Your blood is on your own heads, for I am clean. From now on I go to the Gentiles... And so he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord, along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Then the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent, For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. That reading began with the statement, after this, he left Athens and went to Corinth. The after this is kind of important to the story. The previous chapter tells that story of how Paul had, had come to Athens and he, he came there by himself, which seems a little unusual because Paul always seems to have an entourage, but, but in this case he had left Timothy and Silas and Macedonia to work among the churches and he himself went to Athens. Now, I believe that Paul was excited about going to Athens He was a a brilliant man in his own right, Paul was. He'd been highly trained, uh, trained in debate by some of the greatest uh, Jewish minds. And I I think coming into Athens, Paul was excited about this opportunity. And he was excited to go into the marketplace and to begin to, to preach and to teach there. And then there comes word, an invitation to go to Mars Hill and to address the assembled philosophers of that great city. I think Paul was pumped when he went to the Areopagus. Now here, here was a chance for him to, to address the, some of the greatest minds of that age. And as you read Luke's account of it, uh, Paul speaks very relevantly to them and to their, their context. He talks about uh, the, the city of many gods and, and the unknown God. But, but when he gets to speak about the resurrection, they cut him off. And they don't want to hear any more. And it's after this that we find Paul walking down to Corinth 
with very little fruit for his ministry in Athens. And I suspect that he was walking, and I'm, I'm reading a little bit between the lines here, but I just suspect that as he's walking, he, he's thinking about these things. You know, he's, he's wondering about what, what did he do wrong, or how, how did he say it, maybe he could have said it a little bit better, or what might could have been different. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm reading between the lines because I know I do that. I know that, you know, we have opportunities and, and we share the gospel and, and sometimes there seems to be no fruit in it. And I have a tendency to let that discourage me. I, matter of fact, just recently, you know, I've been working that through my mind. And, and in fact, I talked and prayed with your pastor about it. Uh, we had had an opportunity, um, always looking for opportunities to connect with people in the community. About four or five weeks ago, I was talking to some of our, our parents who had kids in the Little League program in our community in Garden City. And so I was talking to them about what they did at the end of the season, and they said they really don't do anything. The league comes around and passes out a piece of pizza for all the kids, and, and they're right there on the field, and the, and the coaches hand out trophies, and that's kind of it. I said, well, what if we provided a party, an end-of-the-season party for you on your last day where you, the kids, after they played their last game, could come into the church we have a, have a space like this, a, a kind of a gym space, and, and we had tables set up, we'd have bouncers, and, and they could do a celebration there. And I thought, oh, that'd be really great. Well, it turns out we had about 1,000 people come through our building that day. It wasn't all at once, thankfully. It was kind of as their games finished that day. But all day long, we had this opportunity to interact with parents and, and, and many opportunities to share the gospel. And it was just, it was just really exciting. But at the end of that, and, and matter of fact, you know, three weeks hence, I, 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 I'm looking for people in the congregation that might have been there on that day, and the reality is nobody came. And so you, you start, start saying, well, hmm, couldn't I have done something? Maybe we should have done something a little bit different. Or, or maybe when I was sharing the gospel with this family or that family, I, I should have used a different technique. But there's a fallacy in that kind of thinking. Uh, it's... And it's, it's dangerous because Satan uses it then to discourage us in service. The fallacy is thinking that, that somehow the presentation of the gospel relies on us. Or the outcome relies on us. Because that's what we're looking for, right, is outcome. Um, but it doesn't. Now, the sharing of the gospel is given to us. But the outcome is all God's. It's not about how slick the presentation is or how, how relevant what we have to say is. It, it's about God giving faith, and God does give faith, and, and God does that in his timetable and not ours. I want to suggest to you this morning that, that maybe some of the discouragements that you're struggling with may be along the same lines that I've struggled with, where you've looked for fruit and maybe a family member's life that you've been praying for 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 years and you're not seeing it and so you're you're discouraged thinking that God's not at work there but I want to suggest to you God is at work there that God is at work in the gospel through you and in your life the testimony of your life and like Paul we just we have to continue on and we have to see that God works to actually encourage us in our ministry how did God work to encourage Paul well, I want to suggest that he worked to encourage Paul through the fellowship of, of of the saints, through the fellowship of believers. Paul's on his way to Corinth. That, that could have been a source of discouragement right there. I mean, Corinth was the sin city of that day. 
Maybe the Las Vegas of, of the first century world. In fact, there was a phrase in the first century when someone had morally degraded, when they had entered into sin, it was said of them that they were Corinthianized. It was the city of uh, the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. They had a temple that housed a thousand temple prostitutes that every night would flood down into the city. It was a very immoral city. And Paul would write to them later in 1 Corinthians, he would say, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I don't know that he was just talking about the humility of his own soul. I think he was talking quite literally. That as he enters into Corinth, he's, he's not just discouraged by what's happened in Athens, but he's, he's concerned about what he's entering into, this city. How is the gospel going to flourish here? How is the gospel going to get a foothold here? But when he gets to, gets to this city, God has prepared encouragement for him. He meets two people, Aquila and Priscilla, tent makers, people of his own trade, people like him. They were Jews who had become believers, and God had already arranged things so that they had to leave Rome, and they were ahead of Paul in Corinth, set up shop as tent makers, so that when Paul gets there, and apparently immediately he finds them, how he finds them, the scripture doesn't tell us. But I'll guarantee you, if we were able to ask them, they would say, it was a God thing. Because <laughs> here in this city of 100,000 people, Paul somehow connects with Aquila and Priscilla right away. And he's able to go right to work. That may have been a source of discouragement for him because apparently funding has run out and Paul needs some help. But right here is a couple that are tent makers. And so he goes right to work with them and and they could be a source. Matter of fact, we know they're a source of encouragement because they become fast friends for the rest of their life, for their ministry. We see Paul and Aquila and Priscilla serving together in the gospel. And then a little bit later, Timothy and Silas show up. Again, a source of encouragement to Paul. There is, there is great encouragement that comes from the fellowship of believers. And God knows we need that. You need that. Maybe the discouragement that you've been wrestling with in your life is, is because that's been absent. Because you've had this reason or that reason not to be in the fellowship of believers. You've had this experience or that experience and so you're not serving anymore. You're just sitting on the sides. I want to tell you that there is encouragement that just simply comes from serving together with brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I'm so blessed to have your pastor as a friend. Every Wednesday... We call each other, and we share in each other's lives. We pray for one another, and I want to tell you, that's encouraging. I'm encouraged every time I do it. Paul needed that same kind of encouragement. So why is it if Paul needed encouragement that comes from the fellowship of believers, we kind of think we don't need it so much. We can do it on our own. We can't. Satan's great tool is to bring discouragement into your life and you're going to get more and more discouraged if you seek to walk and follow Christ by yourself. There's no reason for it. But yet, sadly, there's, this is something that has just invaded uh, Christendom. This has invaded the Christian thinking. Um, Tom Rainer did a study uh, among believers a little while ago uh, where he indicated that 
that many church members now think that they are faithful church members if they attend a service once every three weeks. For them, that is the mark of faithfulness. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that, that, that follows a biblical pattern at all. I don't think that follows the encouragement that, that Scripture gives us that we, are to, that we are to be concerned about one another and we're to promote love and good works, that we're not to stay away from one another or the worship meetings as some habitually do, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying we need more fellowship as we get closer and closer to that return of Christ. We, get more, we need more fellowship the darker and darker the days become. And brother and sister, we live in dark days. We need one another. And we need to serve together. Because God's at work in our world. God's at work in your life and in the lives of people around you. You need to be at work with him as he works through others. I'm excited to hear that you're, you're hosting uh, back here Bible clubs this week. And those are awesome opportunities. I'll tell you a couple stories. I'm going to anyway. Um, we were planning a church in Big Rapids, a town in, in northern Michigan, about 20,000. And uh, we used a team. I'm thinking one instance, we used a team that had come up from Tennessee, just like this team's coming up to you. They came and served with us for a week. I had about um, five places set up for them to do backyard Bible clubs. And in this one place, uh, they had, there was a little park in the subdivision. It was called Charlie Brown Park. I remember it. And they had been faithful. I mean, they went and knocked on doors and, and helped help us uh, invite people to come to this little backyard Bible club. But you know, there just wasn't very many kids that came. There was only about six that came to this one particular club. But they did a great job. And, and we were able to bless, you know, just be encouraged by their presence and were blessed by their presence. Then they went home. Nothing much seemed to come out of that, at least at first. But about four months later, I had gone to visit uh, one of the homes. There was two kids that had been in the club. And the first time I was invited into the home, and as I stepped into the home, I couldn't hardly, you couldn't miss it, but on one side of the living room was a large shrine, a uh, large Buddhist shrine. And so I was talking to the mother of the home and, and just talking about situations in their family and in their life and, and had the opportunity to share the gospel and Within about 45 minutes or so, an hour or so, I could, I could sense God was at work. And, and before I left, the whole family knelt there in the living room and, and yielded their life to Christ and were baptized in the life of our church and, and began to grow in their faith. That was fruit. The team never saw that fruit, but we got to see it. But then about a year later, I received a call at the church office about a family that had a tragic situation. Their 10-year-old boy had had a heart attack and died on the school playground. Um, very tragic. They'd asked if we'd come and, and help them and, and lead in a, a funeral service. And so our church began to minister to them. And about three months later, we, we saw their, their whole family come to faith in Christ and were baptized into the life of our church. And, and as I got to know them, I, you know, I... I discovered, you know, that they were 
their family had been longtime members of a, a Lutheran church in town. And, and so I asked them, I said, when your son died, why did you call us? And they said, about a year ago, our kids came to a backyard Bible club in that little Charlie Brown park. And I said, oh, yeah. And I, they said, you know, we just felt like you guys loved us. And, and that's, you were the first ones we thought about when that tragedy came. God doesn't work on our timetables. But he's at work. He's at work in and through us. He's at work for the sake of the gospel, for his, his purposes. Our need is to be faithful, is to continue. And what was interesting about that whole situation is, is that family, when I went to the house, it wasn't, it wasn't really in the area I had drawn on the map for the, the team. You know, I'd kind of given them a map and said, here, you know, get to all these houses. It was, it was a house that was down a dirt road and kind of tucked away. And, and they had been diligent and faithful, and they went out and found this, these kids and invited them to come. God knew what Paul needed. He knew that Paul needed encouragement, so he brought Aquila and Priscilla into his life, and it was a, it was a God thing. And, and, and Paul also needed to see the fruit of, of ministry, and so God allowed him to do that as well. As we read this, the story, Paul is faithfully preaching in the, in the synagogue, and, and eventually he kind of has to shake his, his robes and, and leave. But notice what he does. The passage says that in verse 8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household. And many of the other Corinthians who heard believed and were baptized. The leader of the synagogue became a believer. I mean, that's a big thing. That's a big deal. But he was just the beginning. He was just kind of the first fruits of what God was going to do in Corinth. And as you read, what's, what's really neat is you read through the book of Acts is you go over and read 1 and 2 Corinthians. And of course, we know that the church at Corinth had problems, but there was a church in Corinth. There were people who came to faith in Christ. And, and, and God was at work in large ways. Matter of fact, if you, if you, when you read down through the rest of this chapter, we read of an incident where the new leader of the synagogue has Paul dragged before the proconsul an attempt, um, an attempt to get him stoned or, or at least thrown out of, of Corinth. But as he stands before the proconsul, Galileo, things go sideways on him. I mean, that is for, the, for the, the leader of the synagogue. Because it turns out that he's the one who ends up getting beat. <laughs> um, and, and Paul was left alone, just like God promised. God said, no one's going to touch you here in this city. And so God answers that, that promise from his word. But this leader of the synagogue, here's, here's an interesting thing. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the leader of the synagogue's name was Sonethus. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very first verse of this letter he writes back to the church, he says, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, and Sonethus, Send you greetings. Being the new synagogue leader who wanted to have Paul beat, not only was unsuccessful in that, 
but eventually gave his life to Christ and was part of Paul's advance mission team and writing back to the church at Corinth. And by the time you get to the second letter that we have recorded in the scripture, Paul writes back to them, greeting not just the church in Corinth, but to all of the churches of Achaia. What does that tell us? That tells us the church in Corinth was a multiplying church. That they were planting churches in the other villages and towns around them. And the other major city in Achaia is Athens. So though Paul didn't see the fruit of it in his first visit there, you have now churches all through that region as a result of his faithful service. Brothers and sisters, there's encouragement that comes from serving together. And let me ask you this question. Maybe if you're kind of wrestling with discouragement in your life, could it be that you're discouraged because you are simply not serving? Maybe you're just coming? There's, there's blessing, there's encouragement that comes as you serve together with, with brothers and sisters in Christ. There's, there's fruit that will be seen as you serve faithfully over time. Things that maybe you don't see immediately, but you will. There's no way to know what's going to happen out of these backyard Bible clubs. But let me just say to you, if you don't see anything that happens next week, if you don't see a whole bunch of people here that come right out of that backyard Bible club, don't get discouraged by that. You're planting seeds. God's going to bring the increase. God's going to bring the fruit. You keep being faithful to share the gospel, and God will bring them to you according to his timetable because he is the one who brings salvation. Stay encouraged in him and in service with one another. Um, but let me point to God's word here. The encouragement that comes from God's word the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. I love that passage. There's encouragement that comes from God's word. That's why the preaching of the, of the word of God is central in your worship service. It's because God wants to encourage you from his word. He has promises for your life. Here he has promises for Paul. But that, that, that statement, I have many people in this city, I believe gave to Paul not just encouragement, but, but a new vision for the city of Corinth. I, I think Paul probably came to that city, he said, with fear and trembling. The part of that was this thought, kind of like what we would have. How is it that God is going to reach the people of this dark, sinful city? How is it that a church is going to be born in a place like this? But God says to him, I have many people in the city. What does he mean when he says that? Does he mean that there are already believers, pockets of believers in the city? No, I don't think so. The gospel hasn't reached Corinth, other than Aquila and Priscilla. I think... Paul understood that God was speaking from his sovereignty and from his foreknowledge, and God knew that he had many people in the city. There were many who were going to come to faith. And so I think that Paul stepped out on his front porch that next day after that vision, and he starts to look around, and he starts to see people with different eyes, with a different expectation. He smells the bread, the smell of bread coming from the bakery across the street. He looks at the baker, and he wonders, maybe he's one. Or he sees a a soldier walking down the street, and, and the, the first thought that comes through his mind is not that this is a Roman, but 
Maybe he's one. I want to suggest to you this morning that we have to, we have to capture that same vision. Understanding that God has many people in this city, many people in Windsor, that he's calling to himself. And what our need is, is to begin to have his eyes and see that he is at work around us and get in on what he's doing. He has many people in the city. Could be even one of them are you. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've come at the invitation of someone else and, and you've come seeking the Lord. Well, friend, I, I want to say to you right now, God's already seeking you. He desires you to enter into a relationship with him by faith, trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, trusting in the shed blood of Christ to, to wash away your sin, not not asking you to become religious enough for him, no, asking you to yield yourself to him, to give yourself to him, that he might save you through the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. God has many people in this city. And he's at work. And he wants to encourage you as believers to be faithful with the gospel. Because he's at work in ways we can't see. We look at people sometimes and we think that's the last person I think is going to come to faith in Christ. In fact, that may be the very first person that God has in store for you in your ministry. I mean, I, I'm sure that Paul, if he had sat down with a map and looked at the cities uh, of, of the first century world, Corinth would have been one of the last cities he thought that the gospel would bear fruit. But it's where it bore fruit. We do a, we call it a, a community free fair usually in September when school starts. And uh, we do, you know, bouncers and, and pony rides. Ponies are big. You know, we, we, we have ponies there. And, and uh, so we have families that will come. And, and, and we'll share the gospel in a variety of different ways. Sometime after that, a couple weeks after we had done uh, fam- the free fair, I began to get some emails. And they were... They were, the, the person writing the email didn't tell me who they were. They would just ask a question like, you preach from the Bible. Why do you do that? And, and why do you believe the Bible's true? And so I would write an answer to her. Next week, I said, you talked about the devil. I don't really believe in the devil. Why do you believe in the devil? You know, and, and so I, I would get these questions every week. I didn't know who it was. You know, I'm kind of looking at the crowd on Sunday morning, trying to figure out who, who's writing these questions, you know. Didn't, couldn't figure it out for quite a little while. But it turned out to be a, a gal named Teresa. She had come with her two boys to the family free fair. And so she started to come. Well, she was, um, she was an agnostic and, and really didn't have, she just had no interest in church, she said. But, but you all were so friendly, and, and when we met you, we just, I, kinda, I just had to know more. So she began to come to one of our discipleship groups, which was, Actually, it was kind of a, what I would say, kind of an advanced or deeper discipleship group. But she said, can I come? And we said, well, sure, come on. And about six weeks into a course called Experiencing God, uh, she gave her life to Christ. And uh, just right there in our Bible study, she, she says, I, I'm ready to do this. <laughs> we said, well, praise the Lord. Uh, and, and, and so we, we saw her saved and baptized. And then uh, her husband came to the baptismal service. And uh, he's a big guy he was a a bouncer at at one of the bars just down the street from the church and kind of gruff you know could tell he didn't really feel comfortable being there and um 
But this time, we're getting, we're getting closer to Christmas, and so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to spend some time with Daryl, get to know Daryl. And, and uh, no, I'm sorry, it was, it was after Christmas, so it's getting closer to Easter. And at Easter time, we, we, live in a, we serve in a uh, predominantly Catholic community, and so one of the things we do as an outreach is we do a passion play at Easter, just because that, our building is full of, of our Catholic neighbors on, on, in that passion play. And uh, so I'm, we're writing the script for it, and we'd, we needed an executioner. And so I said, Daryl, I've got the perfect part for you. If, you. if you'd be interested in being in our drama this year, I said, I needed that you know, executioner to you know, dress up in leather and show his muscles and all that. He said, oh, that sounds cool. I'll, I'll do that. And so he, he, he joined us. And um, on the third night, of our performance, there, there, he was the executioner was used at the very last scene, and uh, actually it was in regard to to Paul's martyrdom. It was it was in the story. So he had his little scene, and then the curtain kind of closed on that part of the, the stage where he was, and we continued, and I came up and then present the gospel each night at the end, and behind the curtain, he and the gentleman who was playing Paul knelt. And Daryl gave his life to Christ and was baptized. And, and, and I, I could continue on. Um, the leader of the witch's coven uh, came to Christ as a result of Teresa's witness because she'd been a part of the coven. And, and I, I don't know, I could, there's just a whole tree of people who came to faith in Christ uh, because of that free fair. Nothing really happened at the free fair. It looked like God was at work, but God was at work. And so I encourage you this morning, get involved. Start serving. Join, link arms with other believers and and sharing the gospel, finding ways in your neighborhood or or, uh, maybe even in your house to, to share Christ and to be a witness where you are. There is great encouragement that comes from the testimony of God's word, from the fellowship with other believers. And maybe you're missing that because you've not been a part. Let that that all change for you today. Yield your life to Christ today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the power of the gospel to transform lives. And Lord, it might be this morning that there's some here that, that are seeking Lord, that desire that transformation. Father, I pray that you'd give them faith and, and that they wouldn't leave this place without sharing that desire with me or, or one of the other leaders here at the gathering so that we can share Christ with them. Lord, place that heart of faith within them. Father, I pray for the brothers and sisters here that you are blessing as you're using them together. Help them to draw even closer together in a partnership for the gospel that shares the gospel with all of Windsor and all of the world as, as God sends them out. Encourage their hearts in your word, I pray. In Jesus' name.